0: As podcasters, it is so important that we are making our podcasts, not just our podcast audio, but our website, our emails, our social media posts, all of those things more accessible for those who are not just disabled, but like to enjoy those elements of additional ways that we can make our show accessible. Today, we have Max to talk about all of that and more. Max is a blind podcaster and shares so many tips, tricks, and strategies. And toward the end, he shares his number one thing that he recommends that we start with to make the most impact in making our website, our show more accessible. Please join me in welcoming Max to the podcast. Welcome to the Listeners to Leads podcast, where we're helping podcasters launch and maintain lead generating shows. I'm your host, Alicia Galati, the founder of Galati Media, a full service podcast management agency. On this show, you'll hear my guests and I discuss everything that it takes to launch a successful podcast and keep it running. If you're ready to get leads, land speaking gigs, and create a deeper connection with your audience through your podcast, then this is the show for you. Hello, Max. Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I'm very excited to chat with you. So if you could start by telling everyone who you are, what you do, and about your new podcast.
1: I'm Maxwell Ivy. I'm known around the world as the Blind Blogger. I am a former carnival owner and amusement equipment broker. I'm also a serial entrepreneur with over 15 years of lived experience navigating the internet as a blind person. And uh, as a result, I have uh, accumulated a lot of knowledge and experience in the area of accessibility and inclusion that I'm hoping to share with more people because I honestly believe that it is in the best interest of every business person out there to be more accessible and more inclusive. I like to say when you make your product services and content accessible, you make them better for everyone and you give yourself an opportunity to reach a huge market and is pretty much untapped, filled with loyal consumers who will advocate for businesses and brands that are inclusive. So that is what I do, my podcast. Currently, I have a show called What's Your Excuse, where I interview people who have overcome adversity. And in January, I'll be starting a new show called The Accessibility Advantage, where mainly I'll be interviewing business leaders who have embraced the benefits of accessibility and inclusion.
0: So what are some of those benefits, right? So someone might be thinking, okay, accessibility and inclusion, that sounds good, right? That sounds like something Mm -hmm. that would be great for the collective humanity. But what are maybe some of those additional benefits that we might not know or see?
1: For starters, there's currently about 1.3 billion people in the world who identify as having a disability beyond that stat there are other statistics that say it's one in every seven people but that doesn't really cover it because that only speaks to the people with disabilities it doesn't address the number of people who are friends with somebody who has a disability family members coworkers. i like to say that when we find a, a company that is willing to make the effort and they produce a quality product or service that we will tell our friends, our family, our coworkers, and even our enemies, because we just want everybody to know. And so the <laughs> the combined, yeah, the combined reach is really unreal, and it has yet to be truly measured. Uh, there's more research coming out every day, but most of that research really hasn't done much more than just scratch the surface as far as brand loyalty, the reach that comes from the effect that inclusion has on the people in the lives of the person with a disability. So there's definitely that advantage, but I think the more important part of it is the loyalty because there have been many times in my life where I have even overpaid to continue doing business with a company because their product or service was accessible or because their customer service team was willing to address issues specific to me and do them in a timely manner and do them with an attitude of joy rather than, uh, oh no, this person is calling again. He wants to know why we don't do that. I like to say that my dad always said that he preferred to get things by asking nicely with a smile and a handshake. So that's the way I have pursued things online for a long time now. And really, it's the attitude that people have when they deal with somebody with a disability, and so those systems you put in place because quite a few companies I've dealt with over the years have been willing to solve the immediate problem, but that information never went beyond the customer service or the technical service person to the design team to the point that they could include my suggestions or my complaints into making their product or service better for everyone and and that is really a big piece of this accessibility because so often when things are done to make products or services or our environment more accessible it makes everybody else's lives better Uh, a friend recently told me that he's, he's like max i remember the debate and in order to get those curb cutouts in my city and he said, at the time, I thought, well, there's only a few wheelchair users. How big a deal could it be? He said, then my wife had our first child, and I noticed that she was able to take our baby carriage and use those curve cutouts that were put in for people with wheelchairs. There are so many examples. Like, you know, we don't think a second thing today about talking GPS. But in the early days, the only people who had talking GPS were blind people. And we had to pay four or five, $600 each. To have a talking GPS that is now a very small part of everybody's cell phone.
0: Wow. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. But yeah, you're right. I think brand loyalty is such an important part, especially as those of us who are podcasters or business owners, and we're looking to not just acquire new listeners, but to keep them, right? We want to keep them in our sphere, we want them coming back for <laughs> more content. So as podcasters, what are some things that we're most likely missing in making our podcast more inclusive for disabled folks? And
1: thanks for reemphasizing the loyalty point, because most any business person can tell you there's a lot more profit in a return customer than there is in having to continually attract new ones. But as far as podcasters, and things that they maybe aren't doing as well as they could and things they could do that would affect their connecting better with people with disabilities, I would say the first thing is think about the way you record your podcast. Thanks to Zoom, Google Meet, Riverside, Skype, all of these platforms give us the opportunity to record in video and audio, and, and most of us do. Even I record my podcast with the video. For most people that can see, which is most people that are doing podcasting, they like to be able to look you in the eye and have that be part of the conversation. But anywhere from 75 to 85% of the people who consume your podcast are going to do it through an audio player. So really think about it like this. Most of the people who will consume your content, they are pretty much visually impaired. I mean, they're buying. They cannot see any of the great stuff that was on camera when you recorded your podcast so i strongly encourage hosts to start doing what are called audio descriptions now this is fairly common with movies television shows and broadcast media where they will have an audio on a secondary channel where somebody off screen is narrating the action whenever people aren't speaking so for podcasters. I strongly advise them to do an introduction, say that is an audio description to let people know what they look like, what their recording background looks like. If they have a pet that is going to make a regular occurrence on screen, then describe the pet. I encourage them to suggest to their guests that they also do an audio description. Now, most hosts aren't going to change too much, So they might only need to do an audio description for themselves every few months worth of podcast episodes. But it would be great if the guests would start doing it. And that, of course, goes back to the host. The other thing is, is if you include video clips of other activities, you know, say you have a video of somebody reading from their book or doing a poetry reading or somebody is performing or you have a sports activity, have somebody describe that action on screen so that it'll end up with your audio when you send it out to the podcast player. And then if at some point in your interview, there is an important facial expression. I was doing an interview the other day where I made a face and the podcast host had known me long enough where he described my expression to me and his listeners. And in another case, I said something that the host wanted to disagree with me on. So after he disagreed with me, he said he was nodding his head in the negative while he was speaking. These are things that your listeners have no way of knowing if you don't tell them. And by telling people these things, by letting them understand more of what's going on in the visual element as part of your audio recording, you build a stronger connection with your listener. You make them feel more a part of your podcast, more a part of your episode, more a part of your interview and your conversations. And all that leads to more loyal listeners who are more likely to press that button to subscribe, to listen, to download, to share. So in this case, it's a little bit about accessibility, but really it's more about making a better connection with all of your listeners by viewing them as if you're sending a podcast out to blind people, which in effect you are.
0: I have never considered all of those elements. You've explained so many different ones. I know for myself, if the guest says something that's really inspiring and I'm over here nodding and the guest can see me, I will say, you can't see me, but I am nodding (laughs) and I agree (laughs) and I love what they said. So I do that part, but you mentioned so many other ones that I think we can take away when you said describe yourself, describe the guests. sometimes, what would that kind of look like? Because I know I struggle with that sometimes when I see sometimes people will put the alt text on an Instagram post and they'll describe it. And I'm like, wow, how did they come up with that kind of a description? What Kind of things should we be looking to add to those descriptions? Right. So if you'll help me out here a little
1: bit, I will. I will do mine. It's not something that's going to be comfortable the first few times you do it. It's going to feel really weird. So uh, I'm not exactly sure what color shirt I have on today. So if you'll help me out by telling me that, I'll I'll do my audio description.
0: Yes, it's a red shirt with a dark. I'm thinking black tie. There you go. So, so I am a. 57-year-old
1: Caucasian male, very white. I have uh, medium length or almost, let's say short to medium length, curly brown hair. I'm not 100% sure what color brown it is. It depends on what color dye was on sale at Walmart when it comes time to get rid of the gray again. I'm wearing a red button-down shirt with a black tie. I'm sitting in a faux leather desk chair in front of my computer in my bedroom. And if y'all did look behind me, all you'd see is a barrack door to this room. I do have a disability. I have retinitis pigmentosa or RP. I have light perception. So I have almost no vision. And I can only really tell if a light is on or off if I'm looking directly at the light source. So those are some of the things you would say. Um, if you are ethnic, which I'm not, you may mention your ethnicity or your country of origin. Definitely you want to mention whatever clothing you're wearing. And like I said earlier, if your dog or your cat or your ferret or your rabbit makes a regular appearance, whether you want them to or not, then describe them too.
0: That was very thorough and I loved it. Like it's just, The way you described it is definitely to the point, but also like lets people go almost on a visual journey with you of creating this image of what you look like.
1: Yeah. And I didn't even mention the fact that I'm, A very tall man, I'm uh, I'm broad of the shoulders, and I'm very handsome. (laughs) And I just stuck my tongue out at you. There you go. So these are some of the things we can do. And the most important thing about audio description is to have fun with it. Don't make it something you stress over or that your guests stress over. As you notice, there's no point in me mentioning the the hair dye, but I do it because it's something that usually gets a laugh. And it kind of makes everybody else feel a little bit better about having to do their own audio descriptions.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. I would like to give it a try, if that's okay with you. We're going to just...
1: No, it it is totally fine with me. I, I love it when people try to apply what it is I'm sharing with them, so go for it.
0: All right. I am a Black and Puerto Rican female, age 32. I am light brown in skin. My hair is... Very dark and braided in pigtail braids down my shoulders and, uh, breeches mid-chest. I have a light pink shirt on that says, careful or you'll end up on my next podcast <laughs> written in black ink <laughs> on the front. I am sitting in my office with white walls and bookshelves behind me with tons of books because I love to read, as well as some little giraffe figurines because giraffes are some of my favorites, and a picture of my mom because I love her and she passed away a few years ago and it's just a nice little touch to add her to my background, as well as a red sign that says on air. Okay, how did I do?
1: (laughs) I I thought you did very well. I especially liked the hair description. That was some great detail that most people would not have gone to, but it really, it really creates an image. And then of course the shirt, that's another thing that not only does that help me know more about what's, what the visual would be, but doesn't that also give your audience kind of a, a look into who you are? I mean, isn't that, and isn't that another great way to connect with our audiences?
0: Yes, absolutely. Oh, this is so fun. <laughs> All right. So now that we've covered the audio elements of podcasting and making sure that we have created more accessible elements to our audio, what about the written content? Because obviously now we're taking it beyond just our listeners. We're taking it to right and who most likely do have those disabilities.
1: Right. So the podcast is the first piece. Then we have to look at our podcast players because as you know, a lot of people, when they start podcasting, they don't know for sure if they're going to be doing it forever. And a lot of people are doing it on a tight budget. So many people are using free players. Some people are using these uh, websites that do everything for you, including offering the player. So the first thing is after you've created inclusive content to make sure that your audio player is accessible, that the buttons, links, are well-labeled and can be navigated by somebody using a screen reader or a digital Braille display, or that they are labeled clearly in print that is easy to read for people using screen magnification software. So those are things you want to look at with your player. And if you're not sure about your player, there are two things you can do. One, you can reach out to your provider and ask them for their accessibility statement. Most of them will have one. Or you can reach out to somebody like me and go, do you know if my player is accessible? Or you can think, who do I know in my community that I can use this as a reason to ask stupid questions about their disability without offending them? So that's that would be my suggestion to find out if your player is accessible or not. And then, of course, a couple of things you have to worry about once you go on to your websites and your podcast player is making sure that you're not causing problems for people with autism or ADHD or people who are dyslexic. So you want to avoid flashing lights. You want to offer multiple color contrast options, if possible, because with dyslexia, especially the color of the text and the color of the background can drastically affect whether or not they can easily read the text, whether that's the labels on the buttons on your podcast player or on your website. But you want to make sure all of this is accessible. The content, the player, in addition to your player, it's always really good if you can include a transcript so that people who are hearing impaired but not deaf can use that to supplement their enjoyment of the audio. If you are posting the video or you post the video in addition to the audio or you post video clips, most all of the major players like right now, like YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, offer an option that will add closed captions to your content. It won't be as good as if a human person edits it, but it will be pretty good and it will only slightly annoy the hearing impaired person. But here's the thing I recently found out about closed captioning that I did not know. Among people under the age of 30, something like 40% of them prefer to watch videos with the closed captioning turned on. So, Making sure your video content has captions could not only be reaching people that are hearing impaired, it could be making a stronger connection with people who don't have the disability but just enjoy it. Same thing with audio descriptions. There are a lot of sighted people who turn on the audio descriptions because it allows them to follow along with a program while they wash dishes or do something else where they're faced away from their television or or their mobile screens. So that's a lot about your players. And then after we talk about the players, then we need to talk about websites, social media, and email lists.
0: Yeah, wow. That is, I never even thought about the, I knew about the flashing lights and like having those types of warnings. I knew about the the color contrast element because I know my husband is um, some type of, he can see certain colors, but not other colors. And certain colors look kind of weird. And so knowing that and knowing that like, If uh, there's a certain type of text on a certain type of background color, it's difficult for him to even read it because he's like, what does that even say? I can't really see it. (laughs) Those colors are too close together. They're too in this element of whatever color. So I didn't know about that. But having those closed captions, that's definitely so important. And I would actually be curious to know how many people. And I don't know if this is a study that people have done of like how many people actually do not have their phone volume on when they're scrolling TikTok or when they're scrolling Instagram reels or Facebook stories or any of that stuff. I know I don't. I try not to have my volume on ever. So (laughs) like I will just go through it. If there's no closed captions, then I'm most likely just going to keep going unless it's like a video of a whale and I'm like, "Oh, I'll got to show my kid that or something like that." But talking head ones I definitely will just skip through if there's no captions. I I want to see those. And
1: see you just verified my point even if we don't have any statistics to back it up. You are obviously a thought leader as a podcast producer and you won't watch videos on your phone if they don't have closed captioning unless they are really cute and inspirational. So See, we both agree that those closed captions benefit more than just the hearing impaired.
0: Yes. Oh, so good. So let's go ahead and move on to the website. So you're a podcaster. You've got a website. What are some things that we can make sure that we're doing or maybe some tools that we can use to make it very simple and streamlined for us to include everyone? Well, you
1: just said the most important thing. When it comes to building your website, simple, streamlined, the fewer elements on each page, the better, because when you're navigating with a screen reader or screen magnification or for people that are paraplegic or quadriplegic that are navigating with uh, muscle control type devices, then the more items that are on a page the longer it takes to find the item that you actually want the more time you spend finding what you want the less time you have to enjoy what you were trying to find in the first place what you went to that person's website for when you either found them in a search engine or somebody you know sent you a link that you this was something you wanted to know something more about so a few elements a clean design Making sure that every link and every button and every image has a unique description. You know, you mentioned alt text earlier because it's a fairly common thing that most people know about. But even though most people know about it, most people still don't do it on a reliable basis. And those who do on a reliable basis often just kind of phone it in because for those who don't know, alt text is text that is added in the background of your website that when a screen reader comes across it, it will announce whatever that text is. So for the in the case of an image, it will read whatever description the website owner has added to that image through the alt text. Well, I can't tell you how many websites I've been to where the alt text says the name of the company or it says the company logo or it says about or it says Facebook. And I know these people have spent a lot of time and money to develop what they thought were compelling images, especially with their logos, and yet they don't take an extra minute or two to come up with a real description to tell people like me what that image will look like. And, of course, it's not just me that they're shortchanging. They're shortchanging themselves because the alt text, at least up to the first 180 characters, is indexed by Google, Bing, and the other search engines. So by not adding that alt text to the images, they're missing an opportunity for their website and their content to be found in the search engines organically. And as we both know, organic is easy. If you're not being found organically, then you have to do the hard work of social media promotion, paid or unpaid, of email lists of face-to-face networking. So there's a lot of hard work that goes into pushing traffic, but organic traffic, one of the ways you can get it is through, search engines, finding the alt text that goes along with your images. The other thing about alt text is if it isn't there, my screen reader doesn't realize there's an image. It'll go right over it as if it isn't there. And if that image is tied to a button or a link, then it goes right over that as if it isn't there. So if you have a link that you didn't describe or you described poorly, and it's tied to the button to subscribe to your podcast or to buy your latest course or to buy your latest book, then I've got no way of buying your latest course or your later book or signing up to your podcast. So the alt text is very important. The streamlined design is very important. When you add text to links and buttons, use simplified block text with space between the characters so that when they are expanded by screen magnification users, they don't blur. So those are some things. If you're going to use a, a modal, which is like, Say when somebody gets to your website, the first thing that pops up is your email subscription thing and they have to click a button to get rid of it to go to the rest of your site. Make sure that I can easily find that button and click that button because I can't tell you how many times I've had to basically just close my browser and restart my browser because I couldn't find my way out of the modal. And then, of course, I didn't go back to that person's website again and none of us wants that to happen when it comes to your website, be real careful about how you create your forms, whether that's an email form, a sign-up form, uh, a form to purchase something, because the forms are basically like the bridge between the business and the customer. And if your form is not accessible, it doesn't matter how great your product or service is. It doesn't matter how much I need it. If your form is not accessible, then I can't get across that river and give you my credit card information. So. Forms are very important. And just in general forms, you want to make sure that I can navigate them. And when I move to a new question, it will announce the question. It will tell me what the answer should be. It will have a way of telling me if I've entered the wrong answer before I go on to the next question. And when I get to the end of the form, if somehow I made an error it didn't catch before I press submit, it will tell me what error I've committed, what question it was and tell me how to fix it. The ideal forms have, just like your website, they have a a limited number of elements per page. And here's one of those places, I didn't realize this until yesterday when I was talking with another podcast host. He said, you know, Max, I can see. He said, but I love those forms where it's one question per screen. And I told him, I said, you know, I didn't even think about that. I said, but think about it this way. If people are viewing your website on a mobile device, Building a website with fewer options, building a form where it's just one question per screen, that feeds right into mobile users, people that are accessing your content from their smartphones or from their tablets. So it's another one of those cases where making it more accessible, especially with your forms, also makes it easier for everybody else to navigate the forms. And like I say, the forms are the way we get paid, whether that's cash or emotional support. So making sure your forms are accessible and of course you can test those there are websites out there you can use to run a quick check that will tell you you know approximately where your site ranks as far as accessibility compared to the average on the internet i currently write for a company called audioi.com i've been writing for them for a little over a year i am a paid contributor but i am not a, a hired gun i I get paid to write my opinions as they have never ended in my opinions. So I'm very happy with that. They have an auto checker on their website that will test how accessible your site or any aspect of your site is. Uh, naturally, as a as an accessibility consultant myself, I would strongly encourage people to work with an individual rather than using automation, but really it takes both. It's great if you have an automation option that you can combine with the human element. And when the two come together, then you have a much higher level of accessibility and reliability and usability. So we've talked about the websites and the forums. And the next thing for a podcaster is their social media.
0: Yeah, I love that option to run it through some type of Test to see how am I ranking? What is working? What's not? And then hopefully they have some type of checklist that you can go back through or go back and listen to this episode, obviously, and listen through (laughs) all the things that Max gave us because these are really basic things that I think that we can do to make our websites more accessible to folks. So these are so good. Let's talk social media. We did have one episode in the past where we did talk specifically about social media, but I am always open to hearing different options and ways, especially as social media has changed in the last year since we've had that episode.
1: Right. Social media has changed a lot. And what you mentioned about lists, I was speaking with a business owner the other day for my new podcast. And he was telling me, he said, you know, Max, our, part of our problem was we thought we had to solve for accessibility differently than we solved any of our other business problems. He said, so we went out and we looked at checklists. And he said, the problem with the checklist was they were overwhelming. There were literally dozens or hundreds of things that said we needed to consider in our workplace or on our website. He said, we finally just decided to try to put ourselves in the place of the people who would use our website, or who would come to work for us or apply to work here, and then to make changes, to make progress as we went along. So that's what they have done. They now have a team in place that continues to research and try to make improvements in their accessibility online and their inclusion in the workplace. But as far as social media goes, you're right, it has changed a lot. But one thing that hasn't changed is that most people are not really considering accessibility in their social media. Part of that is... A couple of years ago, Facebook came out with the thing that tries to assign alt text to images automatically using AI. Part of that is all the recent talk around AI. So more and more people are thinking, do I even have to worry about alt text anymore? So hopefully, hopefully people are not thinking that or believing that really when you post on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, all the these various platforms, your images do need to have the alt text. And most of them offer a reminder to you to include the alt text if you have it. I have to admit, even as somebody who accessibility is very near and dear to my heart, I sometimes don't have the alt text because I'm posting images that other people have sent me. So if you are sending an image out to your followers and you want them to share that image directly to their platforms instead of just reposting your social media posts, then be sure to include the description that goes along with the image in the email. But alt text on the images, audio descriptions, closed captioning on the videos, making sure that the links in those videos where they are available can be easily clicked and that the pages it takes people to have been checked for accessibility. The other thing is, and this is really, I guess you'd say kind of, maybe it's not really social media. Maybe it is. I'm never really sure. But one thing to consider is the audio platforms like Alexa and Google. So when you're creating your content and your content is being repurposed to one of those platforms, make sure that the audio descriptions are included in your content so that they will get shared over there as well. We both know that so many people are now listening to our podcast content by telling one of their little devices to play your show for them. But if your content is accessible to begin with, it should still be when it's rebroadcast on those platforms. Another thing that a lot of people are doing on social media now is they're using QR codes. So if you are going to do that, make sure that your QR code is a large image. It really helps if it's the only thing on the screen because that makes it much easier for somebody With limited vision or no vision to actually target the QR code and benefit from the work that you put into creating it in the first place. If you are going to include PDFs in your social media posts or on your website or as part of your podcast information, then be sure that that PDF is accessible. Most people do not know this, but you actually get to choose in what order a PDF is read and the default version of a PDF is to read from bottom to top, not to read it as if a human being would read a document. So if you're using PDFs in your social media or on your website, be sure and check your settings on your PDF when you create it to make sure that it's set up to be read as a book and not read as an eye chart.
0: Wow. That is something that I never would have considered. Like you said, most people don't know that. I don't think I've ever heard anyone mention that or talk about that as a something to check and to make sure is being done.
1: Well, I didn't know it either until about six months ago when I wrote a post on inclusive public speaking and my editor, he's really great at finding statistics and adding them to my post or finding information that I didn't know about. And he added that to my article on inclusive presentations and it was one of those things when I read it, I was like, man, I had no idea. And it does make a big difference when you're listening to something because if it's not properly formatted, it's gonna it's gonna sound weird and it's probably going to distract you from the content if it's not formatted to read the way people read text.
0: This has been so much information. And for people who are like, okay, you've given me a lot to consider. What is maybe one thing that they can start working on first to make some improvements? And then obviously we want to continue working, not just stop with the one thing, but what is one thing that we can start working on and would make the biggest impact first?
1: That's a tough question. I'm going to speak a little bit about your email newsletter for a minute while I think about that. Most people do not don't realize this, but most of the email providers either don't offer you the option of including alt text, or if they do, they make it so complicated that nobody will ever do it. I started to write an article last year where I mentioned that Google, it's impossible to add alt text in an an image for for an email, and I was corrected, and somebody sent me the list of steps you have to go through to do it, and I was like, nobody's ever going to do this. So a lot of the email providers, both the ones we use to send just regular emails to our friends and family, and also the ones we use to send out mass emails as podcasters, do not really offer the option of including alt text for your images. So I would encourage people to find out whether the email provider offers it or not and to start using it. But if their email provider does not offer it, then they may want to consider using links to their images instead of the images because then you can add the alt text there, or they may want to just add captions to their images in their email to make sure that anybody who is visually impaired will know that they care about you and will be able to appreciate the image that came o- or images that came along with their email. So that's something that un- another thing that most people are not familiar with. I would say the one thing that people can do is. To Just take five minutes and look at your website and look at your podcast content and think, is there something I can do to make this more inclusive? Is there something I can do that will allow me to make a stronger connection with my listeners, whether they are blind or hearing impaired or living in a wheelchair? And what are things I can do about that? I've always said it's it's about finding one little small thing you can do today and then doing another one or more of them the next day. Look at your links, your buttons, your images, and just make sure that you're doing the more common things correctly. That's what they need to do. This is a subject that has become more common in the disability community lately, and basically it is do the most important thing right. So if the most important reason why people come to your website is to listen to your podcast. Make sure when they get there, they can easily find your latest episode and play it. If you sell products, say you have an Etsy store or you're on Shopify, make it so people can find out what you have for sale. They can evaluate your images. They can click the buttons and buy your stuff. Make sure you're doing the most important thing right. And if you're doing the most important thing right, then most people that are in my position, most people with disabilities, they will either find a way to navigate the things that are not so great, or they'll reach out to you and ask for your help, or they'll ask somebody else in their family or their, or their office to help them. But it's about doing the most important thing right. And I can't tell you how many businesses, especially large corporations, struggle with doing something that sounds really simple. So that would be the one thing. Think about what it is you do, why it is people are coming to your website, and make sure whatever that most important thing is, that they can do it as easily as possible, and then on a daily or weekly or monthly basis, go back and reevaluate. That would be my suggestion.
0: Oh, that's so good. Max, thank you so much. This has been extremely informative and definitely something that we're going to have to go back and re-listen to and make sure that we are looking at each of those parts of our podcasting and our businesses to ensure that we are making sure that everything is accessible. And I love that you said that the most important thing that you want the person to do, the, the action that you want them to take, make sure that that is the easiest thing and the most accessible. So uh, what a great note to leave on where can people find you, get to know you, hang out with you, or if they would like to hire you for support? What is that? Uh, what are those links? So we can make sure that we have those in the show notes and people who are listening can find you.
1: So I'm in the process of building out a new website. It is live and they can connect with me on the website. It's the accessibilityadvantage.com. Podcast coming soon. It has my direct email address as well as my scheduling link on there if people want to. To reach out, have a conversation about hiring me, or if they would just like to get to know me better and have a discussion about disability or accessibility. One of the things I find is that most people are not mean. They are not uncaring. They're just afraid. And usually they're afraid of offending the other person by asking the question. So I like to put myself out there. So if there are things you want to ask about or want to talk about, then please reach out to me through the email address or the or the scheduling link on my website. And until I find out that I'm that this is maybe the wrong thing to do, I'm going to keep doing this. If you're listening to this podcast and without these podcasts, I really wouldn't be able to visit so many people from my bedroom in Conroe, Texas. I really appreciate you for having me on your podcast. So if y'all are listening and you're worried about your website or your podcast player, send me an email. I'll be more than happy to look at your homepage for free. If after hearing what I have to say about your homepage or your podcast player homepage, you decide you want to hire me, that'll be fine. If you decide you don't need me, that'll be fine too. But I would love to have conversations and also kind of alleviate some of those fears and remove some of the overwhelm that keeps people from being more inclusive and reaching this huge audience that's out here that is ready to embrace people willing to make the effort. So if you want to... Get your homepage checked out. Just reach out to me through the website, theaccessibilityadvantage.com. So thank you.
0: Yes, thank you. That's very generous of you. And I really appreciate that for the audience. So thank you so much, Max, for being on and for sharing all of this greatness with us. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Listeners to Leads. If you found something in this episode valuable, I would really appreciate it if you shared it with a friend who you know would also get value from it. Wanna send me a message? My favorite place to hang out is Instagram. You can find me at alishadokladi. Let me know what your favorite takeaway was from the episode and don't forget, turning those listeners into leads is actually easy.